welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. Today is one of my favorite passages to study and to preach, so I'm, I'm a little extra excited, maybe a little too caffeinated, but uh, we're going to dive into this. I want to offer a prayer, and then I want to share a parable, and I know the passage includes a few parables, but I'm going to bring another one and try not to make it too confusing. And then we're going to get caught up in the scene of the Gospel of Luke and where we are, where this story takes place. Then we're going to read the passage. Then we're going to talk about what it means. Are you ready? I love that. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for always being ready to speak and to move and to show us, reveal to us, give to us your wisdom. I thank you for the way that our scripture works in this process. That when we read and we consider the words spoken by Christ by other people, Your Holy Spirit moves in our reading, in our reflection, in our contemplation. Your Spirit is always beckoning us forward. So I ask that you bless what has been prepared and speak through me in spite of me. Let us hear you in spite of ourselves. And may our hearing, may our embodying, may our going forth, may it be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. All right, so I have a parable for you. I kind of made it up, all right? So, but, so. There's a parable of a, of a young man, a young person, who takes a job at a local park, a beautiful park, trees and flowers and pathways and water, lots of people, lots of little animals and creatures scurrying, life, flourishing, scents, sounds. And he's elated to get this job where he has spent a lot of his childhood playing. His job is to pick up trash. So he has one of those sticks with the spike on the end. Day after day, hour after hour, he goes through the park endlessly finding wrappers, cups, sucker sticks, receipts, tissues, and many other things. Day after day after hour, picking the trash up. The job is never done because it's a busy park and there's always trash to pick up. Over time, he becomes a little bitter, seeing the trash always there. He becomes angry at the people. He begins to hate his job at the park. Soon, all he sees is the trash. And finally, he's had enough and he quits. And as he storms out, he says, this is a terrible job in a miserable way to spend my days. He storms away resentful and vowed never to return. We're going to hold that parable. I'll come back to it. We're going to read from Luke 15 today. Now, the the lectionary reading is just a portion. Um, There are three stories in this chapter that all are connected together. The one story you've definitely heard of, whether you've never read scripture or been to church, you know the story of the prodigal son because there have been books written, paintings painted. There's even a TV show called The Prodigal Son that has very little to do with the passage, but connects back. This one story is not meant to be read alone, so we're not going to. So 
We're going to read the whole chapter from beginning to end, all 32 verses. Well, someone's going to read it, right? Chapter, verse, and numbers, those were all created much later, long after the Bible had been written and crafted and edited and put together in the collection that we hold in our hands today. So don't get caught up too much in the chapter sometime. We've got to read the bigger picture and, and story. So we've got to pan out a little bit. We've spent time in chapter 13 over the last two weeks. You've heard a lot about Jesus calling Israel and the people away from the path of destruction and toward the path of life. So then Jesus, he's gotten plenty of attention from religious leaders because he kind of indicts them as being part of the path of destruction. And so there are people responding to the calling, and amidst that, the religious leaders are a little curious, skeptical. They invite him to a meal in 14. So on the way to the meal, he heals a man on Sabbath. It breaks the code that the religious leaders, the people he's going to see, they work very hard to not break the code, and Jesus, on the way to the meal, breaks the code. Jesus already rocking the boat. That's what Jesus does so often. So he arrives at the house, and he watches as people gather at the table and start sitting at the table in particular ways. They all want to sit near the head of the table, near the guest of honor, because that would make them more honored. If you went to the house of someone powerful or famous, you were invited and then that person said, here, sit next to me, and sat down at a long table full of people, you would feel the honor, yes? Now multiply that by about 100, because we don't live in a shame-honor culture like they do in the East, like they did in Jesus' day. So the people are fighting to see who gets to sit at the head of the table. They're being strategic, you know, that kind of polite strategery you see. And Jesus, seeing all this happen, he then tells a story. He offers a teaching about the table, exposing the shallowness of what they're doing. He probably didn't get invited back to that table, right? He challenges everyone there, and he goes further and says, you shouldn't even be hosting dinners for each other to just keep passing honor back and forth. You should be going out and finding the people with no honor and inviting them to your table, the people that can't pay you back with honor, the people whose presence will actually degrade your honor because you're with them. But you will give them honor by being with them. That's what you should be doing. Give of yourself for one another. Give your honor for others. It's a pretty typical Jesus message. Jesus then tells a story that the people who consider themselves honored guests of this particular powerful man get invitations to a big party that's going to take a lot of preparation. And when the party is finally prepared and he goes out to tell them it's time to come, they all have better things to do. And so the, the man gets really angry and he says, I'm going to fill my party up. So he sends his servants out and he says, gather all the people that are on the gutters of the street and of society. Find the lame and the blind and the crippled and the homeless. Find the least and fill my house so that when those honored guests may decide to finally arrive, there'll be no room for them. Jesus probably didn't get invited back to this table. Amen? Give up your honor, he tells them. Stop it. Following me, he then goes on to say, means foregoing honor. 
See your honor for what it is. It's nothing. Selfish honor is actually a source of shame in God's reign. Putting yourself first, putting yourself last. Putting yourself last, you're putting yourself first. And then we come to chapter 15. All in the same scene. Notice the first two verses. I'm going to read them, and then you'll hear them in the, in the Scripture reading. But consider the context of this chapter. It starts this way. All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling and saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Yes. Jesus just explained how the upside-down kingdom works. So let's hear chapter 15, verses 1 through 32, and hear the story that Jesus offers. All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose someone among you had 100 sheep and lost one of them. Wouldn't he leave the other 99 in the pasture and search for the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he is thrilled and places it on his shoulders. When he arrives home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Celebrate with me, because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and lives. Or what woman, if she owns 10 silver coins and loses one of them, won't light a lamp and sweep the house, searching her home carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Celebrate with me, because I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, joy breaks out in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who changes both heart and life. Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. Soon after, the young son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. There he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. When he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I'm starving to death. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. 
But the father said to his servants, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field. Coming in from the field, he approached the house and heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked, what is going on? The servant replied, your brother has arrived and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he received his son back safe and sound. Then the older son was furious and didn't want to enter in. But his father came out and begged him. He answered his father, Look, I've served you all these years. I've never disobeyed your instruction, yet you've never given me as much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours returned, after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Then his father said, Son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the pattern goes like this. One of a hundred requires celebration. One of ten requires celebration. One of two Pretty simple. The repeating elements in the story. Something's lost. It is able to be found. It's the owner who finds it. And then the whole community comes and celebrates with the owner. First a sheep, then a coin, then a son. Maybe two. The shepherd finds that sheep. Good news. The woman finds that coin. The father finds his son. And the friends and neighbors celebrate every time. The point is clear. Something being found is worthy of celebration. But the third story gets a lot more detail. It's a lot more complicated because it's really bringing the point home to who Jesus is telling this story to, to respond to the grumbling. Everything about this story is really bizarre. The father represents God. That part's not bizarre. The younger son represents sinners, those who are not obedient, lost people. And then the older son represents those who aren't lost, seemingly obedient, if a little begrudging in their obedience. The younger son finds his value not in the household, not in his father's name, not in his place as a son. I don't know that he knows what he finds value in, but he finds value at least enough in his inheritance that will be his one day when his father dies, but he wants it now. And so, he gets that inheritance. The father divides it up one-third for the younger son, two-thirds for the older son. And the younger son, only way to get money is to sell off everything he's just been given. So he does. The family's land, sold. Belongings, sold. And he takes his money and he leaves his family, never vowing, never thinking he'd ever be coming back. He's done with this family. He's done with his father. His father, the bizarre thing is, doesn't try to stop it from happening. He divides everything up as if he's already dead, which he didn't have to do. He gives the younger son his third and watches his son walk away. 
What drove the younger son from his family? What made him disregard his relationship and place and sell things and bring shame on the family that now they have to watch someone else work the land that was theirs as a daily reminder of what happened? What drove the younger son? We don't know. The son wanted something that he wasn't finding at home. So he went somewhere else and spent it all. He hit rock bottom, and then he dug about 50 feet lower. Because as a Jewish person, working with pigs is bad enough. Wanting or feeding them is worse. Wanting to eat with them doesn't get much worse. But then he realizes everything he ever truly wanted, he had at home. Extravagant living offered him nothing of substance, and that revealed itself to be nothing of substance. When he realized the truth that bad things happen, famines happen, his eyes were opened to the richness of his father's love, his Abba, his father, who willingly embraced shame by giving him that land, by letting him walk away. The father embraced shame when he was going to be thought less of by people who said you shouldn't have done that. I wonder, as he watched the horizon waiting for his son, did he know the son would come home? Did he embrace the shame with confidence that that would ultimately lead his son back into right relationship? We can only wonder. The son came home expecting shame. That's what he'd ask for. He rejected the family. But it didn't matter because even table scraps from his father's love and place is enough. But the father sees him, abandons, abandons honor, and runs to him. And in a public display before all the people around, bestows upon him full sonship and honor and love, something that no one would have ever expected. And here it is. Anyone that might have treated the son with shame for what he did can't because of what the father's done. Because now if they treat the son that way, they're treating the father that way. That's how it works in their culture. No judgment and condemnation can be had. None was given by the father. There was no inquisition. There was no lecture or attempt to make sure that the son knew exactly what he did wrong and what he should have done differently. None of that. Because what happened didn't matter. What was happening is all that mattered. The father did what people do when they find something they lost. Calls the friends and neighbors and says, it's time to celebrate. Maybe you've been the younger son. We all have at times. Maybe not to the degree of rejection we see in the story, but maybe parts of it. When you act hatefully, and word hate in scripture means to cut off your relationship with somebody, to disconnect. When you do that to others, it's a younger son move. When you act selfishly or you seek honor for yourself, your name, your people, your family. When you condemn others that you have judged. When you call other people fools because they voted differently. When you manipulate the influence you have in the positions of power you've been given. When you shame others as if you have that right, 
when you ignore the opportunities God gives to bear fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. That's younger sons living. Amen? Or maybe your, your rejection has been every bit as complete as the younger son. Maybe you're like, yeah, that's my story. Know that your creator all the while was waiting for you to return. Was loving you anyway. Was dreaming of the day when you would be embraced as a son or a daughter. When there would be celebration in heaven. When all the friends and neighbors of God would rejoice too. But not everyone rejoices. We have the older son, don't we? It's helpful to understand a bit, because the older son representing these religious leaders, understand the bigger story. They would have. Several hundred years prior, Israel was crushed by the Babylonians and taken away in exile. Ripped away from their land, the temple was in ruin, they had no identity. Eventually, they were allowed to return, but they never felt like they fully returned because before their exile, God's presence was with them. They were God's people. They were seen and blessed by the monarchy of David and Solomon until other nations saw the goodness of their God through them. That was the whole purpose and plan. But they abandoned that. They were exiled. They came back, but things hadn't fully been restored, and they longed for that until Ezekiel, the prophet, gives them a vision of the valley of dry bones, the remnants of what was, that one day would all come back together and receive life and breath and God's divine spirit in them, and they would be reestablished, a resurrection of God's people. That's what they've been longing for and hoping for. That's what's happening when Jesus is doing all that Jesus is doing. People were changing their hearts and lives. People were experiencing the spirit of God. Demons were being banished. Disease and sickness were being cured. The lost people were awakening to the fullness of God. It was happening what they'd longed for. Sinners, tax collectors, ragamuffins, and even Purdue fans, they were repenting and receiving peace with God. It was happening. Finally, a resurrection of the people Israel. There was much celebrating. Everywhere Jesus went, there were meals and gatherings and teachings and feedings, but not everyone was celebrating. The spiritual return from exile didn't look like some people expected. Those who had great honor and the current system set up were watching Jesus slowly knock the system down by lifting those without honor up. Jesus was celebrating relationships with all kinds of people. Those who benefited by being at the top were struggling. They were so tied to the honor and what it meant that they, they were appalled and they were shocked. They saw Jesus as a threat. They saw the awakening as a threat. Jesus stood before them like the father did before the older son and pleads with them. Everything of God's is already yours. It's already yours. You've been faithful. Join the party. Maybe they viewed God as anything other than loving and compassionate, like the older son to the father. They might have felt like God was a slave driver. You ever felt like that? When you really want something, but you're like, ah, I shouldn't. I can't. 
You ever feel that? And you watch other people do whatever they want to do, and it causes something. Frustration. Yeah. But the people of, of God, these religious leaders, maybe they felt like they were trapped a little bit. They could have celebrated being a part of the household at any time, right? The older, everything that was left that the older son experienced and saw was all his. Now, these religious leaders had spent their whole lives studying Torah, the law, and Scripture, and in that culture, that is the ultimate dream, to spend your days talking with people and debating and reading and unearthing wisdom and sharing it with people. They'd recited God's place as their creator several times during the day and how God has been faithful to Israel even when Israel was not faithful. God never abandoned them. There's no better place to be than to be a religious leader. And this time, you're highly regarded, and your work is to study Scripture. That may not sound like fun to you, but it sounds like a lot of fun to me. Over time, they had come to see all the ways people weren't following the law. All these people weren't giving themselves to the purity code in Leviticus. They were struggling with all the poverty and oppression upon them, they weren't staying faithful. There were people working with Rome and Herod to collect taxes from their own people. There were those who were sick, diseased, and crippled, and in their mindset, that's because God's punishing them. They brought it on themselves, they might have said. Soon, all the religious leaders saw was all that was wrong. And over time, they grew bitter and they grew angry. They had resentment for the people until they finally wrote them off. Jesus was awakening this people. The sights and the sounds and the sense of the kingdom were emerging everywhere. Would they go in and join the celebration? Would they allow God to simply wipe the past clean and not care about what had happened and just focus on what was happening? Would they stop condemning and judging? Would they quit worrying about where their justice was, where their honor was for not walking away? Maybe you've been like the older son. You've lived a life the best way you know how. You've sacrificed. You've enjoyed the peace you've had with God by investing yourself in the church and being a part of the work that's happened in this community. And there have been days or longer when you've denied yourself what you really want because you felt you didn't deserve it or that you shouldn't have it. Maybe you've grown frustrated with the actions of others. You've seen your neighborhoods change over time, haven't you? You've seen your news content become something else till suddenly maybe all you see is how the world's falling apart. That's all you see. There are sights and there are sounds and there's a flurry of life of the kingdom happening today. People are doing incredible things right here in our community. Will we demand that people do and live and say as we expect or will we open ourselves to the new thing God may be doing that doesn't look like we thought it would? There is love and compassion celebrating this morning, celebrating every day in a number of people and places that we might not have thought to look. Will you join in? The parable doesn't offer a conclusion because Jesus is telling this to a story of people grumbling. It's up to them to finish it. We can identify with multiple parts of the parable. Some of us are wandering from home. Some of us are returning home. Some of us are celebrating the return of others. 
And some of us are lost in our frustration. As we progress through Lent these last few weeks, I invite you to keep examining, keep repenting and considering where you are today in the story. And wherever you are, if you remember nothing else from this morning, know this. God's compassion and love are waiting for you with open arms. You are a child of God, no matter what you might say about it, no matter what anyone else might say about it. Others are children of God, no matter what you might say about it or what others might say about it. If you need time to walk away or stand outside and think, God will give that to you, but God will always be waiting. It's good. It's appropriate to celebrate and to know our place with God. So I invite you to look up once again. Look beyond what it is your eyes have been set upon. Look up and see the beauty around you once more. Get caught up in the love and compassion of God. Celebrate and offer yourselves to the embrace of grace in Jesus Christ. Amen. We thank you for worshiping with us. And it is our hope that through the Holy Spirit, you have felt the touch of God upon your life. If you would like to know more about our church and its ministries, please visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.